Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 131 of the Northern Miner podcast. I'm your host, John Cumming, the editor-in-chief of the Northern Miner. This episode, we have a feature interview with Andrew Swart. He's from the accounting giant Deloitte. He is their Canadian leader for mining and metals and the global consulting leader for their mining and metals business. The topic is Deloitte's view on the key trends for miners in 2019. The basis of this is their newly released report called Tracking the Trends 2019. This is their 11th year of doing that. And they talk about the top 10 issues transforming the future of mining. We join Andrew via Skype from his Toronto base. This podcast is sponsored by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please visit their website at yukonminingalliance.ca. And their Twitter feed is very good at at investyukon, all one word. Before we uh, introduce Andrew, let's talk a bit about this major news out of Brazil. This happened on Friday, January 25th in the afternoon. It was a major disaster for Vale. This was a deadly tailings collapse of their Dam 1 at Vale's Vejao Iron Ore Mine in Brazil's Minas Gerais state. The tailings spilled out with no warning to bury several Vale buildings, including a cafeteria as employees were eating lunch. And then it inundated a small part of the southeastern city of Brumadinho, Apologies for my Portuguese uh, accent here. You have dead fish and trash extending more than 18 kilometers downstream from the dam. As we uh, went to press on January 29th, this story is evolving by the hour here, 84 people were confirmed dead and 276 were missing. And this makes it Brazil's worst ever environmental disaster. And most of these missing are actually valley employees. So it doesn't look good. Uh, if the employees are missing, then um, probably under the mud there. So... The rescue and care was being carried out by the fire department and the civil defense people, and Valley was chipping in 40 ambulances, 800 beds, and a helicopter. So this Dam 1 was built in 1976 using the upstream method by Fertico Mineração, and that was acquired by Valley in April 2001. So this dam was 86 meters high, the crest length 720 meters, and the spill itself was 11.7 million cubic meters. And then by the end of the day on January 29th, Authorities had arrested five people in Sao Paulo and uh, in Minas Gerais in connection with the spill. Three of those were Valley employees, and two worked for the German company TUEV Sued, which had inspected the dam. They still don't know why the dam collapsed, but that uh, upstream style of building is really not the best practices. Uh, it's, I don't believe it's done anymore, but what happens is as they build up the uh, dam walls, instead of piling the new earth on top of the old earth, you uh, pile it up towards upstream uh, in the tailings area so that what happens is the highest part of the dam is above, directly above the tailings. So it's not a, not a stable practice. So Valley was decommissioning these upstream style dams, but obviously had more work to do. Valley's also halted production at some of these related mines, so that cuts out about 10% of their production right now. So it's a major story. This is going to play out through the whole year. Valley's putting out press releases every hour or two. Uh, a huge issue, so uh, it's just, just getting started. Terrible story. The way things are going, this death toll could easily uh, rise above 300 people. So let's take a little break, and we'll come back with the interview with Andrew Swart of Deloitte.
We're joined today by Andrew Swart. He's from the accounting and management consulting giant Deloitte. Andrew is in the Toronto office of Deloitte. He is their Canadian leader for mining and metals and their global consulting leader for mining metals. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to uh, meet you, John. And I heard you're uh, hopping on a plane today to Adaba in Cape Town. Is that right? I am. So uh, next week is the big annual conference for mining in Adaba, a big gathering of miners. It happens in Cape Town every year and uh, should be a, a very interesting conference, just given all the moves in the industry today. Right, right. Now, the reason we're speaking this week is Deloitte has released their annual Tracking the Trends report. And I guess if I could characterize it, the, the general idea is mining is getting more complex in every way, as everyone knows. But there are ways mining companies can deal with this in a technological sense and a management sense. And at the same time, you're optimistic that mining is entering a new stage of growth. So you have 10 trends, but maybe you could just jump into uh, whichever one you want to talk about first. Yeah, sure. So look, I mean, this report is now in its in its 11th year. And certainly as we look over the last couple of years, there's been a very interesting evolution of trends. I think each year what one sees is a particular theme that spans a lot of the trends. And I think in this year, there's a sort of a general theme that that moves across several trends, which is really around analytics and the role that analytics is going to play in uh, in the business going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether or not it is talking about how more analytics is going to drive into the operations of the business through sensorization and um, optimizing that data to drive sort of cost improvements to you know, driving analytics into support functions like risk or internal audit and the implications that's going to have uh, as companies get to take more of a forward-looking position on their on their portfolios and geographies and risks that they actually face. Um, to how do you utilize data effectively in engaging sort of communities and stakeholders uh, as, a, as another example. And so there's a sort of a general theme of, of analytics that goes through many of these trends. Right. Now, maybe just start with the the hardcore uh, mining side of analytics. How do uh, miners rate there, would you say? Well, look, I'd say that the the whole area of digitization uh, within mining first really started to get traction about two years ago. And that's when we first reported that in our in our tracking of the trends edition um, in that in that year. And I think mining companies were initially struggling with, well, what does digitization mean and, and how can they actually capitalize on this and uh, and how can it create value for the organization? And I think what you've seen over the last sort of two years in particular is is companies looking at the opportunities to automate portions of their process, put sensors on their various assets, you know, look at gathering data to facilitate better decision-making within the organization. And it's sort of at a point now where I think there are several companies who are sitting with large pools of data, which they're not necessarily mining or don't really know how to sort of tackle that. So I think the move now going forward, and this is why we highlight this as a trend, is companies getting more serious around analytics and big data. But then you're also getting some companies who are perhaps on the more advanced end of that spectrum and beginning to deal with uh, or looking at proof of concepts around artificial intelligence and, and mm-hmm. machine learning. And so the industry right now, I'd say, is in the early stages of this sort of analytics and artificial intelligence sort of cycle. But I think there's more to come in the next couple of years. 
Right. Now, can you give a few, as, as happens in the full report here, just examples of companies that uh, you think are doing a particularly good job or in some field or other just on the uh, mining side of analytics? I don't like to comment on individual companies, but I think as we do highlight in the report, there are there are seven, several interesting use cases that are emerging, particularly on the artificial intelligence side of this. And so, you know, we're seeing some companies applying artificial intelligence to safety situations. We're seeing other situations where mining companies are experimenting with artificial intelligence to optimize things like blast patterns um, within their mines. There are obviously several use cases around optimizing a portion of the process uh, as an example. And so there are there are these kinds of use cases that are emerging. At the moment, what we're not seeing is any company doing this at, at scale. So that's why I'm saying from an, from an artificial intelligence perspective, I think mining companies are sort of still at the beginning stages of this, but this is absolutely a space to, to watch in the next few years. How does uh, Deloitte help a company out in that way? If they bring you in to help out with analytics and AI, what, what happens? Yeah, so look, I mean, as, a, as an organization, as the you know, largest consulting uh, firm, we do a lot of work with clients in developing those particular proof of concepts. You know, we employ large numbers of data scientists who you know, can run that analytics and find ways to sort of optimize key portions of the process. And so, yes, that's typically the kinds of things that we also get involved with in these companies. Now, are you also using AI with your own accounting systems or, or risk analysis, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think uh, as the phrase goes, we eat our own dog food, right? So, um, so absolutely. I, I think no industry is immune to the uh, the opportunities and the disruptions of of AI and artificial well, of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and uh, and analytics. And so, absolutely, professional services is one of those areas which is also changing rapidly as a result of this. And so, yes, we build in uh, this into all aspects of our practices, you know, be it within consulting or be it within audit or tax or, or, or in risk. And, uh, and that's having a, a huge impact on our business as well. Now, just moving on to another part of the report, just talking about risk, there's so many different risks from you know, trade wars and uh, political uprising, uh, tax, tax regimes changing. Uh, can you just give an overview of the landscape of risks that mine companies face? And you argue for a holistic approach to dealing with risk. Just what does that mean exactly? So look, I think you've highlighted many of these uh, of these risks that companies face. So clearly there's geopolitical risks. There are changes in tax and royalty regimes uh, in different countries around the world. Uh, there are operational risks. There are safety and sort of personnel risks that firms face. And I, I think the area where particularly analytics and artificial intelligence comes in now is the ability for an organization to be able to monitor and look at the whole myriad of risks in a very holistic fashion. And mm-hmm. um, moreover, where maybe several years ago, one was largely taking a retrospective view of these particular risks. I think now the ability is there for organizations to look forward, be able to take more of a predictive lens and saying, if I am able to monitor all of these data pools in a very structured fashion, you know, put a dashboard on top of that. How can I anticipate some of these things and begin to see some of the early warning signs that there could be, you know, hotspots, uh, different portions of the world, that there are particular operational or stakeholder factors that I need to be monitoring as a firm and take proactive action against that. And so that's really what we mean by taking a sort of a, a holistic view of uh, 
of risk. I'm kind of jumping around here, but uh, we have another trend Deloitte looks at for this year, digitizing the supply chain. Now, that, that's a huge topic for mining, especially in these remote locations. And you argue for a circular system that you call the digital supply network. This is a more interconnected and responsive supply chain, as you say. Can you just explain what's going on with supply chains and how uh, Deloitte can help there? That's a huge, huge field, obviously. It is. And there's a lot of value that is sort of trapped up or trapped within a uh, supply chain network of, a, of, of an organization. And so, um, you know, significant portion of the direct operating costs goes into the inputs uh, to the firm, be these, you know, raw commodities, uh, be they various, you know, process chemicals or piece or asset, uh, sort of assets and pieces of equipment that organizations are, are buying. Today, it's very much a linear system that I think many companies uh, employ. And really what we talk about in the report is to take on you know, more of a circular view where you're creating sort of active feedback loops in anything from uh, working out the demand to, you know, understanding what your inventory levels are to being able to, you know, place orders back in kind of real time. And in effect, it is the kinds of principles that have been involved in, in manufacturing in automotive or, you know, any of these sort of industrial facilities for, for many years. It's mm-hmm. certainly not a brand new thing, but it is fairly new to mining, right? And so I think that there really is an opportunity for mining companies to unlock a lot of value, uh, to drive better prices uh, around a lot of their input commodities, lower their inventory costs as a result of that, and free up working capital. And so I think companies should be looking at that sort of holistic set of, of variables as they think about their supply chains, uh, you know, going forward. And then obviously building analytics again into this. And again, the theme of analytics sort of keep on coming up where if you're able to understand the demand patterns, if you're able to understand, let's say, the predictive view on things like maintenance, you know, that Mm -hmm. gives you a very good view of how many spares you should actually be having in your warehouse, where they should be located, you know, what are the the typical kind of timelines to to order these particular spare parts and pieces of equipment. And so taking that sort of holistic view to the supply chain is will be key. Maybe uh, we could go on to the uh, CSR type issues. Perhaps early in the, the millennium, people just, uh, we have to bring in a school, a hospital, um, that kind of thing. But but you argue we need more and more, a more sophisticated approach to CSR, corporate social responsibility. What do you uh, see as the trend there? The whole area of CSR, we, we feel has for many years and for for several companies, really been more of a compliance-based activity, which says I'm in a certain sort of community, there are certain things that I need to do, I need to check a series of boxes, right? But we believe that market is, that sentiment is changing going forward Mm -hmm. and that it will move to one where it's really about how do you create sort of mutual value with uh, with these communities. And so we coin a phrase in the report which we call value beyond compliance. So how do you move beyond compliance and create this shared value with communities and governments uh, that you operate in? A big portion of that is how do you move this sort of topic area to be front and center of the corporate strategy of the firm. And I think it should dictate large your approach to those particular governments, your approach to those communities and those particular mine sites. While there are a lot of examples of mining companies who have you know, integrated their supply chains into, into communities, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, those are all the right kinds of things to be doing. Yes. What we do highlight in the report is for companies to be thinking several years ahead. So 
as one thinks about the the wave of digitization and how the uh, the nature of mining companies are going to evolve in the next couple of years, there is going to be an impact on employment, on just the number of jobs that one is potentially offering in a mine site, mm-hmm. the kinds of skills that are going to be required going forward, and even where those people will be located. So, you know, companies may still be employing the same amount of people, but a lot of those jobs will be done remotely and sitting in an urban center, not at a mine site. And so... The value proposition for between a mining company, or should I say the social contract between a mining company and a community, has for decades really been around jobs. You come into your community, we provide jobs. But going forward, that may not be the case. And so how do companies think about what other ways that they can add value to those particular communities? Is it about you know, finding ways to drive different areas of economic activity, leveraging the infrastructure that you have or that you're putting in anyway for for the mine site, right? Are there ways that you can leverage the digital infrastructure that you're putting in place again to to create other sources of value to those those communities? And so I think this whole topic of sort of value beyond compliance and the shared value that you create is going to be a big focus for mining companies going forward, particularly if they want to mitigate many of the risks that we sort of spoke about earlier. Right, right. I know that's a question we ask mining companies all the time at Northern Miner. What if the jobs disappear? That's such a big selling point, and they just are silent. They don't have an answer to that. Do you, yeah, do you see think- revenue sharing as one more revenue sharing above and beyond what's in law as a way to help out? Does, it, does that help uh, or do people not care in terms of community acceptance of a mining project? I think there's no right or wrong answer. I think there is a myriad of techniques and strategies that companies are going to have to deploy going forward. I think some of those are going to be around relooking at value sharing agreements. I think, as I said before, I think it could be around how do you create new sources of value. So if you're putting in a bunch of digital infrastructure for a mine, as an example, could you use that to provide world-class education to those communities? Example, or world-class healthcare through sort of a tele-remote type system, uh, as an example, or if you utilizing a lot of analytics at the mine site, could you use that to optimize crops to promote subsistence farming? So I think sort of looking beyond the, the traditional boundaries of the mine site and taking a more holistic view of the community and, and working with that community actively to say, hey, what are those community needs and, and how can we create a win-win situation where you know, mining companies are still able to, uh, to provide value to shareholders, but at the same time, um, you know, can they de-risk the particular, I guess they sort of de-risk the, the circumstances around the mine where, you know, communities might intervene or governments might, you know, want to change the royalty regime and things like that going forward. And so how do you strike this win-win proposition and create this shared value? Right, right. Now, one of the, of course, one of the huge problems in Latin America is when mining butts up against local agriculture and always water usage is the, a big issue. Where are we at as an industry in terms of water usage by a mine? I know there there are big uh, moves. For instance, Gold Corp is trying to reduce water usage substantially. What is the technology and and, uh, what's what's happening in that trend uh, with water usage? So this is certainly one of the trends we highlight in this year's uh, year's report. Uh, You're right, there is a flashpoint, I think, particularly around agriculture, and a lot of that revolves around water in particular. So I think a couple of key things. One is, I think, 
companies will going forward need to make water more of a priority in terms of their operational strategies. And I think part of that is going to be around how do you put a real price on water? It is, you know, absolutely not a free commodity. Um, there is an opportunity cost for that community in, uh, in utilizing that particular water. And so I think one needs to put a price on that water. Uh, and then I think, you know, it really is about either, you know, how do you minimize the water usage or even, even eliminate water altogether um, in, certain, in certain portions of the process. I think there are a range of different technologies that are out there to different mining companies are deploying. So whether or not it's, you know, moving to dry stack tailings as an example, or, you know, looking at truly monitoring the, the, the water usage within the processing plant and finding ways to kind of actively recycle that. But I think these are all the kinds of technologies where companies are going to have to deploy and, again, look at this as a, as a sort of a complete system. And along with that goes energy, right? So energy is one of those areas where there is an actual price on energy and energy is typically about 20-25% of direct operating costs for, for the average mine and uh, you know just as mining companies are looking at reducing their usage of energy um, I think so too there needs to be focus on, on, on water. Where can uh, mining companies save the most in energy usage? So there are typically uh, two or three Sort of key processes which uh, which consume a significant amount of uh, of energy. Um, you know, one of those is the area of uh, of haulage. There's also a lot of energy that is uh, is utilized in sort of milling and and crushing. And as you look at across some of those key processes, probably about fifty percent of the energy that is actually consumed is lost. Um, you know, through through waste heat and and other mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And so those those tend to be quite inefficient processes from an energy perspective and those are often where you know the big savings opportunities lie right it's not about whether or not you you know switch to leds or or those kinds of things i mean you know every bit of energy is important but if you're focusing on some of the big processes you're absolutely looking at at haulage milling and crushing Mm -hmm. now maybe moving on to another part of management consulting is helping a company keep and uh, build a workforce what are the trends in workforce uh, issues so there are two sort of uh, workforce trends that we highlight in this year's report. The one is what we term the, the future of work. And this really looks at, again, how the talent needs of mining companies are going to change in the next couple of years, um, particularly, again, under the, the trends of digitization and, and, and automation. Mm-hmm. And really, it's important to look through those changes in the workforce across sort of three lenses. One is the work that is actually done and how that work can potentially be disrupted or changed going forward, right? So we may not see entire roles disappear, but certainly what you will see is certain tasks that those roles are performing will change because they can be automated. And so what will emerge is roles combining, but also new roles emerging. The second is uh, the lens of the worker. Right. And so mm-hmm. how that, that work is actually executed. And so today, in many cases, you're either utilizing you know, contract workers or full-time employees. And so going forward, are you going to be looking at greater use of you know, gig economy uh, type workers? Or are you going to be outsourcing large portions of those p- sort of particular tasks uh, mm-hmm. going forward? 
And then the last lens is something which we call the workplace. So where is the work actually being executed? Is it being executed at the mine site or can it actually be executed you know, 500 kilometers away in a, in a major urban center? So companies really need to be looking at their workforce and their, their talent needs going forward and saying, how are these going to change across those three dimensions of work, worker and workplace? That's the one trend. The second key trend that we highlight in the report is really around diversity, diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very much related to the future of work talk that I've just spoken about, where what companies need to do is drive more diversity and inclusivity into the workforce. I think mining in general does not have a very good track record when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And uh, I think driving diversity into the workforce is, uh, is not just a box-ticking exercise. I think companies that are serious about this and moving down this path are really doing it because they see diversity and inclusion driving significant value to their bottom line. There are studies that are being done by certain mining companies where mines with more diverse workforces, for example, are, are showing greater levels of productivity because you're getting diversity of thought, you're getting more innovation, and companies, or should I say, uh, workers actually breaking some of the sort of the traditional norms that have sort of governed, governed the industry to bring this sort of fresh thinking in. So the whole area of diversity and inclusion, we believe, is, is a very important one. And not only within the workforce, but also at the board level as well. Um, I think you need to see more diversity and, uh, and inclusivity uh, at that level within mining companies. The report gives examples of BHP where they have higher productivity of diverse workforces, which it's nice nice to see uh, an example from the mining industry because a lot of these studies I've seen compare mining to other industries, which gets a little tricky. I was going to say, what is the, just going back to the remote workforce, what is the practical limits for distance for working with uh, a remote system? Like, can you start having um, Chinese workforces or Indian workforces operating a mine in northern Canada? Or is there some practical limit of electrons moving from Toronto to Sudbury or something like that, or uh, what is what is the maximum distance? There, I mean, there are no sort of theoretical, uh, you know, maximums here. I mean, uh, even two years ago, at uh, I think two three years ago, at a uh, big uh, mining show held in Las Vegas, I think there was an example of somebody. Uh, sitting in in Las Vegas controlling a, um, a particular remote piece of machinery in uh, in Sudbury, right? And so yeah. uh, certainly you are not limited by distances. You are you know really limited by your by your infrastructure at the end of the day and the stability of that infrastructure. And so um, where you locate those workers is going to be a it's going to be a function of where you can find that talent. Uh, you know very often and you know what kind of mix of skills you're actually looking for. So going forward but yeah there are theoretically no <laughs> no, no no real distance limits when it comes right. to this do you, do you see a time one around practicality right do you see a time when you have like mining teams in the philippines running mines all over the world or something like that uh, you know i <laughs> I think anything is is on the table. I mean, I think I think what you I think the reality of the situation is that where you tend to offshore workforces tend to be when you are trying to get economies of scale for you know large numbers of people in certain roles. Um, I think you know would you necessarily go and offshore you know 
10 or 12 jobs probably doesn't make economic sense given, you know, you'd have to take into account the risk profile of the country you're sort of moving to, etc. But if you are, you know, offshoring a thousand workers or 2000 workers, then your value proposition becomes very different. So, I mean, I think for the kinds of roles that we're probably talking um, within a kind of a mining environment, I would probably imagine that they would, that they would probably stay within uh, sort of the sort of the countries in which a lot of those those mines are, are operated out of or, you know, where the headquarters is, is located. Now you're heading off to South Africa. Where do you see all these trends uh, happen? It's such a focus of massive scale mines, huge production, a lot of problems uh, socially, politically. What's going on with the South African industry and how can um, people fix the problems there? What's uh, South Africa's future? It's a, it's obviously a very uh, uh, interesting geography. It's uh, historically been a, a very important geography globally from a from a mining perspective. But you know, many of the mines in South Africa have uh, are sort of amongst the deepest mines in in the world. And you know, mining certainly doesn't occupy the share of GDP today within uh, South Africa that it did maybe 15 years ago or, or 20 years ago. Um, I think you've also seen a sort of a change in the political environment in the last sort of couple of years, um, where from a mining perspective, certainly was a time when it was, uh, there was a lot of hostility between the industry and and government. I think, you know, more recently you've seen um, as the more progressive leadership has sort of come in from, from the government perspective, I think you've seen those dialogues open up. And so, the the new mining minister, you know, will be talking on Monday morning. I think people will be watching that speech with keen interest. And, and I think, you know, mining companies will be looking for, uh, you know, signals around sort of stability, uh, stability of sort of regulatory type in environments going forward. Um, I think you know, the topic of of nationalization or, or non-nationalization, I think, um, will be a key issue that people will be looking looking for. There will obviously be discussions around, you know, the mining charter, uh, which was sort of recently released. And so I think what the minister says on Monday morning will be will be very interesting and will be keenly watched by the industry. Good to hear. Okay, and anything else you want to touch on before we go? No, it's been uh, terrific chatting to you, and thank okay. you for the time. Great. Thanks very much, Andrew, and uh, bon voyage. That brings to an end this episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This podcast is brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Drop in on their website at yukonminingalliance.ca for news about their 17 members. And follow the Twitter feed at at investyukon, all one word. And as always, I'd appreciate it if you could like the podcast, share it, subscribe to it. All those things help us reach more people. That's it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.